This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for July 12, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the pharma industry's purpose, process and people, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Today's guest is Frank Stramaglia, the Estella's Pharma Canada General Manager. Frank will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. Here in our air-conditioned podcast, Gondola, we're recording this episode on a holiday in two parts of Canada. It's officially Orangeman's Day in Newfoundland and Labrador, and Nunavut Day in, of all places, Nunavut. Working despite the holiday is the pharmaceutical industry consultant and health policy expert, Mr. Mark McElwain. Mark, can you please confirm that Orangeman's Day has nothing whatsoever to do with Donald Trump? Well, Trump may well think it is about him. But, you know, in fact, I wonder how many people in Newfoundland even know much about it. Although those of us with Irish surnames have heard some of the stories. You know, when it comes down to it, it's a long weekend in summer. We're in a country that celebrates Victoria Day or Fete de la or Cinco Day. So why get rid of them? Well, fair question. I can confirm that unlike many of the provinces... Across the country, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador actually does have an educational system, so uh, they probably do know about their history. Well, I think there's a beer uh, cell spike or something over there right now. That's the important thing. Also celebrating these twin holidays is James Shea in the background there, general manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, I know you've been everywhere, man, just like Hank Snow, but uh, have you ever been to Nunavut? Well, ironically, I've been to uh, Nunavut quite a lot. I've got a marine biology background and a master's degree in oceanography. And I actually did my grad work in, of all places, Iqaluit, which is the capital of Nunavut. And I've been up there 15 times during all seasons. You know, we don't need the AC up there. So a nice place to visit when it's too hot here. I hope you appreciated the softball question, but... (laughs) Okay, nice. (laughs) All right, all right. We are your podcast hosts, known to you as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the best brand names have already been trademarked, such as Purity Biscuits and Kitty Vitty Iceberg Lager. Now entering the gondola is a friend of the National Pharmaceutical Congress, Frank Stramaglia. Come on in, Frank. Hello, and thank you for that funny introduction. I I appreciate that. We aim to please. You are the general manager of Astellas Pharma Canada Incorporated. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the organization and its current vision? Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So Stellis is the uh, first Japanese affiliate uh, to open up shop in Canada in the 90s. First came as uh, Fujisawa, and in 2005, Fujisawa and Yamanuchi merged to create a Stellis. Um, Don't ask me how they came up with that name. That's part of the history. I haven't learned just yet, but I will for maybe the next time around. 
Fuji Yuji, I think um, maybe yeah, might have might have not sounded so good. So Stellus is what they came up with. We've been in Markham since uh, we originated and opened up shop. And we have just over 100 employees in total and are just shy of 400 million in gross sales as a Canadian affiliate. So I, I like to say we're probably growing up and maybe outgrowing our small pharma handle and, and maybe becoming more midsize in the Canadian market. A uh, vision of our organization, like many has, is turn innovative science into value for patients. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about the specifics behind that. But that's really the focus of the organization. We don't have roots in the generic side of the business. It really is just on the innovation side of pharmaceuticals. Frank, it's Mark. I wonder if you could talk about what strategies you and Estellas employ to foster innovation and drive growth within your organization. Yeah, thank you. So when I started at Estellas, our R&D model at the time uh, was called a category leadership. The ambition of the organization was to be recognized as a leader in transplant medicine, oncology, and in urology. And what the organization found is that when you kind of marry yourself to swim lanes, you're almost a victim of your own success over time. The more you advance science, the harder it becomes to find agents or innovation that's highly differentiated. So they changed course. And now for just over five years, we have a different uh, research and development model, which they call a focus area approach. So this is where they find, you know, a scientific innovation, you know, bio biological innovation. They then say, okay, how does that apply to medicine? What's the, the application here? And then the final step is, you know, now that we've found out how this could be applied to medicine, what's the unmet medical need? What are the current treatments in this area? And how can we improve health outcomes for patients? And if those three things align, then they say, okay, we've got a focus area approach. This is what we're going to pursue. So if you look at the pipeline of the organization, you can see it's all over the place. Other than oncology, we're in cell and gene therapies, hearing loss, ophthalmology, muscle diseases. It doesn't keep us contained in certain, let's call it therapeutic genres or kind of spread out. And the idea is that we build an organization that's that builds capabilities that that they, you know, we're calling we can plug and play in whatever therapeutic area the innovation takes us or the science takes us. So that's our current uh, research and development model that I think is starting to really deliver fruit and will help us drive growth long-term for the organization. That's good. Thanks. So let's talk about technology. And so what role do you believe that technology and digital transformation can play in the future of your company? Yeah, I think this is a, a huge area of where healthcare is, is headed, and, and in particular for our industry, what we need to be focused on to, to get caught up with the times. If we think of it internally from the perspective of how the pharmaceutical business works, I'll start with kind of the core of what we do. I think customer expectations and needs are changing so rapidly that the only way for us to stay on top of those needs and to meet their needs is through technology. So we can't get into the offices as much as we did before. I think those those days are kind of pre-COVID days of access are, are behind us. And with a new emerging physician group or healthcare provider group, their expectations of the industry are changing. They want to access information instantaneously, and they want to get more balance in the day-to-day. -day. They want to be able to access information at night or in early in the morning their idea of how they manage their life, how they balance their careers, their profession of medicine, as well as 
their life outside is a lot different, I think, than what we've been used to from previous decades in this industry. So because of that, we need to change. You know, everyone's talking about omni-channel, but this is the backbone of omni-channel is technology. How many different technology channels can you come up with that can meet those expectations of your customers? I see omni-channel as a vehicle to augment and support the rep interaction. So where pre-COVID, we would be able to get for our top customers, you know, two visits, maybe a month or more, depending on the customer. Now we might get one a quarter. So how do we keep that dialogue going? And these other channels are a way for us to do that so that every time we walk in on every quarter, I don't have to, you know, spend the first 10 minutes of that call getting caught up from our last discussion. I can build off that and and really start to advance. So I think the only way for us to solve for these uh, these challenges and how we engage with customers in an effective way, how we meet their needs is through technology. That's the only way to put it. Well, can I build on that answer then? It sounds like things are moving pretty quickly to Stellis as you're describing them. And you're talking about the dynamics in pharma space being quicker than ever too. Uh, that's my interpretation of that. How are you personally staying up to date with you know the latest trends and advancements in pharma right now? I think for me, the, the biggest thing is just staying close to our internal colleagues. We have some very bright people, you know, both on the MSL side, on our management side, on our sales rep side. These people are close to the ground. They're the ones closest to our customers. So rather than look outside of that group, I think that's the place you got to go first. Uh, you really have to understand the things they're hearing, the things they're seeing that they're experiencing, and not leave them out of the problem solving and the solution exercise. You really need to go to them first. So staying connected with your internal colleagues, I think, is the most important thing you can do. Outside of that, I think you can rely heavily on you know, the investment in your industry association to help you with providing the insight. And that's another vehicle. And there are many you know, partners that we work with, third-party partners, be it consulting firms or other providers who are good at, I think, consolidating a lot of this stuff and you know, giving it back to us in, in monthly reports or, or environmental scans. So those are also very, very helpful. And then just spending the time to, to catch up with other colleagues and other companies just to you know, have uh, conversations about what they're seeing is incredibly helpful as well. No, I love that. The first part of your answer, for sure, the idea of actually listening to what's coming back from the field. I tend to see that a lot of people are looking at the larger stuff that's coming in, uh, you know, your subscriptions to data and whatever. And in a lot of cases, forgetting about the the best, you know, data information or gatherers out there is the people in the field. So that's super. And I'm a big rep supporter on that. One of the things too, is talking and focusing on your employees do more with less has been a theme for decades now. What steps are you taking to create positive work environment and culture, you know, ensuring that your employees are engaged and, and you know, and, and working as a great team? Yeah, it's the most important thing. I got to be honest for, for a leader to do is to make sure employee engagement is at an all, a high level and that the culture of your organization is intact. Before you can get to strategy and execution, you got to have that as the foundation. So my view on it is if that's the case, then you have to be very deliberate about culture. You can't just let culture cultivate on its own as a leadership team and as a leadership group. You got to you got to ask yourself the question, what culture do you need to support the future health of your organization, to support the growth of your organization? We've gone through a similar exercise what we're calling a culture transformation. We're saying there are three core components of the culture of this company that we need 
And you've got to think of it in context of behaviors as well. Culture is behaviors. And what's powerful about culture is when you have your entire employee base behaving in a consistent way, then you're going to get pretty, I think, powerful outcomes and achievements. So you got to be deliverable though. Once you know what what culture you want to create, uh, then you have to be, as I said earlier, very clear on um, providing employees what examples look like. What does an aligned behavior look like? And what does a misaligned behavior look like? And if you can do that in a clear way, it starts to bring it to life. And that's that's where we are now. Then you have to embed it in your hiring practices. And you really also have to assess the people in your organization. Can they behave in this way? Can they fit within this culture? And then make tough decisions where you need to, to make sure you have a collective critical mass of people in your organization that can live and be happy and engaged in that culture. And the final two things I'll say here is leadership connectivity. So it goes back to what I just said, Jim, and that is, you know, I just finished what I called a leadership roadshow where I met for an hour one-on-one with every employee of our Canadian affiliate across all functions. And I've never felt more connected to the organization. I've never felt more clear on what they need and what they expect of the leaders. And I'll have a hard time moving forward in my career without finding that level of connectivity. And then the final piece is gaining the information, the insight is only half of the the challenge. You got to act on it. So making real quick, decisive decisions with the feedback you get is critical. And it can provide such an, an enormous spike in engagement uh, if you're able to do that. Yeah, no, I, I imagine your employees have never felt so engaged and appreciated either. So that's a nice tactic there. Beautiful. Very cool. We're here with Frank Stramaglia, the GM of Estellas Pharma on the NPC podcast. You were just talking to Mark about the brave new world of omni-channel and AI. And I guess there's a pretty strong privacy and ethics component to those things. So to go back to that just really briefly, you know, you've been at the center of pharma for a couple of decades now. And would you say it's gotten more challenging trying to balance business goals with the ethical considerations? Yeah, it has, I think, as you know, with privacy and and with this, you know, technology advancing so fast, I think we got to separate those two things. We've got to really, you know, work with regulators, uh, work with industry associations, work with decision makers to make sure that the framework is in place that we can leverage the good that comes from advances in technology. But when it comes to managing the business, we really have to put other controls and things in place to make sure we don't handcuff ourselves. Because in times of, of intense change like that, you can also, you can get sometimes enamored by it and, and, and almost paralyze yourself. So you have to find a way, I think, to be innovative in times of change like this, um, while still making sure that you're, you know, you know, stepping on any any landmines or or breaking any rules. We've shifted significantly from a compliance standpoint, where we've gone to more of a monitoring philosophy rather than oversight. There was a point in time in our organization where it was felt that compliance was the oversight decision maker on everything we did, on all almost all decisions. And that that was an example of how you can paralyze yourself. So what we've moved to is more of monitoring, right? We don't need to babysit people. We need to empower uh, and create a compliance culture, which means you've got to hold not just your, it's not your compliance officer's responsibility to make sure people are following the rules and staying on top of things. It's the responsibility of every employee and in particular, all people leaders. And we've got to trust that if they take that responsibility, understand and learn, 
that they'll follow the rules, they'll take intelligent risks, uh, knowing what risks they're taking with every decision. And our compliance officer will just swoop in and monitor to make sure that over time, we're still following, following the rules. And they take on a new role then, since they have added time, and that is to be a more of a compliance business partner. Help understand what the business is trying to do. And in this crazy, complex environment, as things are changing, with their depth of knowledge of all of that noise around, say, yeah, I understand what you're trying to do. This, this is the compliant path forward to do it. So they take on a, a completely different role. And that's, that's really helped us be agile and, and be creative and innovative, let's say, in these dynamic times. Frank, it's Mark again. So Estellas is in some pretty competitive categories. And I wonder if you could comment on how your firm maintains its edge versus the competition. Yeah. So great question. I think it also touches on uh, what I just talked about, about risk-taking. You know, we ha- we're very adamant here being clear with our employees what intelligent risk-taking is, right? Every decision comes with risk. Let's assess what risk that is and let's accept risk and move forward. And also communicating to people that if you try something, it's an experiment. If it doesn't work, it doesn't, isn't, I don't like the word failure. I'd prefer to remove that from, from our language. So really, you know, empowering people to experiment and and take risks helps you be competitive. I think sometimes we can rely too heavily on benchmarking. I always tell my team, be informed by benchmarking. Don't act on benchmarking, right? Informed so that we can say, how do I trailblaze? How do I lead the way versus how do I follow what my peers are doing? And I also like to talk to my colleagues about competing on different levels, you can compete strategically, right? And some people are, we, we all know those people in an organization who can, you know, the blue sky thinkers who can really get get above the weeds and come up with really good cutting edge strategic pathways forward uh, to give you a competitive edge. But you can also compete from an execution standpoint. So an example of that internally is we're very focused on being best in class in the field, right? So when it comes to customer interaction, our desire is to be recognized as the best by the customers, by the HCP community. And that's both on the commercial side as well as on the on the medical side. So hopefully that answers the question, but that, that's really how we approach competition. That's good. So let's shift to um, outside stakeholders. And I guess the question is how you manage relationships with stakeholders like providers, patient advocacy groups, maybe even government. Yeah. So I think our approach to stakeholder engagement is that, again, like many companies, we always say, hey, the, the, the customer-facing employee is the sales rep in the MSL for the most part, right? And, and you know, it's, it all falls on them. The language and the, the direction we're heading is that, you know, that it's a shared responsibility on stakeholder engagement. And that's both for active engagement. So that means that everybody on the leadership team, myself included, has a role to play in stakeholder engagement. Shouldn't just be up to our sales rep and our MSLs to create relationships with our key stakeholders. It should be everybody in the organization, head of finance, head of medical, head of compliance even, to get out there in front of customers. So it needs to be a shared responsibility. And then, as I said earlier about our goal of being best in class from the field perspective, that is all around being responsive, delivering value to stakeholders, whomever you're engaging with. And again, that isn't just the responsibility of the person who's sitting in front of that stakeholder, that customer, 
whether it be government or an HCP, that's ensuring that everybody in our organization on a day-to-day basis is thinking, what do I do to make sure that when that sales rep or that MSL or that market access colleague is sitting in front of that stakeholder or the customer, they can be their very best? Do they have the right tools, the right information, and do they have the skills to be good and provide value to the customer? So that's really our approach to, to stakeholder engagement and what our current focus is in the organization. That's very interesting. You know, you got a team approach to, uh, you know, the patient strategy. You're talking about a, a best rep or best agent, whatever you want to call it, strategy, which uh, tends, tends to work out there for sure. Now, so that's macro. Let's look at the, the micro now. We're, we're now going to go into personalized medicine. You know, it's a big theme over the last few years, certainly. So, you know, what are your thoughts on it, its potential, its impact you know, on, on the industry, on, on everything? The impact is enormous. I think it's going to, for all aspects of our business, we'll have to um, almost redefine or think of with that lens. I think if you are a company who's committed to producing or translating innovation into outcomes for patients, that's really where the science has gotten. If we want to find massive advances in patient outcomes, we've got to get this down to the patient level. Now, having said that, I think the cost of conducting those science, the cost of implementing that uh, type of innovation is much harder because now you've got more companion diagnostics. You've got interaction with customers that you know are non-traditional customers that we haven't typically engaged with, like pathologists and and people that work in labs. So we would find a way to engage those individuals. There's an element of finding those patients now. You know, how do we detect and find those patients so that they don't get lost and they can get these highly innovative uh, medicines that can provide substantial impact. And then as well on, on adoption, we need to think about, you know, affordability and how they, how the system can adopt these, these agents. Um, you know, so how do we ensure that the, the payers can, can afford personalized medicine for patients if there's such a substantial impact, cost of research is different. It comes down to that question around getting through the HTA. Is HTA set up? Is PCPA set up uh, for personalized medicine? And we have a significant issue in Canada, and that's, that's healthcare data infrastructure. And until the Canadian healthcare system can figure that out, we're going to, I think, be behind the eight ball and at a disadvantage to our the other OECD countries and uh, around the globe. It's the future of medicine. It's where most most of us are headed. But unfortunately, there's a lot of things we got to get in place and understand in order for it to be successful. Yeah, for sure. So we've asked some tough questions and you've given us some some amazing answers. And as we wind down this whole podcast, it comes down to essentially keyword what you've been saying for the last 20 minutes. So we're going to play a word association game, you know, just say the first couple of words or a phrase that comes into your head in response to each of the following that I'm going to list right now. So leadership. Responsibility. Innovation. Experimentation. Strategy. Essential. Growth. Mindset. Compliance. Critical. Collaboration. Foundational. Very good. You know, I, we've been tre- keeping track and we're going to, we're going to, give you points for those. And that's a, a huge amount. What's a huge equal to? It's a Google, Google Plex, I think it is. So you got a huge amount of points for that. <laughs> <laughs> we got one more huge question here. Finally, it's time to put on your soothsayer's hat, Frank, and enter our prognostication quarter. 
So what bold predictions will you make about the pharma or healthcare industry during the coming 12 to 24 months? Oh, man, I'm never good at this prediction thing. How wise would I be if I had a crystal ball? You know what, if I look ahead, you know, 12 to 24 months in healthcare is a short period of time, especially on the innovative side. But one of the things I guess top of mind for me is I still think we have a lot to learn about the fallout of COVID. I think we all, you know, leave our houses now and we feel like we're, we're, it's behind us. But I think from a healthcare perspective, we're definitely not. And I think there will be, you know, if you want to call it more surprises, there might be more surprises in the next 20, 12 to 24 months of some of the, the consequences and, and side effects of, of what we lived through for such a prolonged period of time with COVID. And that I think is, is something that we should keep our eye on. We need to be ready for. And as an industry, you know, we need to, we need to demonstrate to, to government and healthcare providers that, you know, it isn't just the, the, you know, acute phase of the pandemic where we're willing to step up and help when it came to innovating uh, vaccines that, you know, we're still there as an industry to help even with some of these, these other things, uh, healthcare issues start to surface. Well, Frank, thanks for making some time for us today. I see you've got a workplace anniversary coming up in September. It's going to be your sweet 16, uh, 16 years with Estellas, and we wish you uh, all continued success for the future. Thank you. My pleasure. really enjoyed it today. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for uh, being with us. We'll speak to you again next week. If you've got questions for Frank, send an email to health at chronicle.org. We always invite any and all comments about today's conversation. Here's a thought for you, try sending your question as a voice clip attachment, and you might just become part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and make a point of sharing it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or, to keep things simple, ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. I'm your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from John Evans. Research for this program came from Kylie Rebenick. The musical theme is performed with aplomb by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Maya Milbrook. We'll be back again to speak with you next week.